there's an interesting thing that took place in the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard case in terms of expert witnesses. Yeah. And also in a Canadian case of the former, well, I guess they're not disbanded, the singer from Headley, which is you know, a fairly big band for Canada, um, who's currently in a sexual assault trial. And they had an expert called in his case, um, which uh, is disturbing because we've talked about some junk science being promoted before. And then lo and behold, somebody gets qualified as an expert in this trial. So, but if we look first at um, the Johnny Depp thing, this is a civil case, different than a criminal case. Yeah, it's like a free-for-all. So in the United States, this is a, uh, you know, a, a, a liable slander trial where you're trying to protect your reputation. So he started this action to try and set the record straight. Um, and, and it's a civil case, so a lot of evidence can be admitted that's not always admissible in a criminal trial. And U.S. rules are sometimes different. So we've been following that. Actually, I, I, I've got some interesting stuff to talk about in this, about the end of the trial. But anyways, it's, so, so this is a liable trial in the United States. We've spoken about an episode ago about this. But um, there's some really critical, interesting evidence from uh, psychologists that were called in it, and you're going to lead into it. And then that's going to flow really interesting into that expert evidence in, in this trial that's happening in Toronto. Yeah, which is, is the Hogard trial. Yeah, which is really... Yeah. I'm trying to find another word for troubling. Yeah, intriguing, <laughs> and I don't want to get in trouble, so... All right. So, um, first of all, in the civil suit, there's they have reverse disclosure in advance. They have to turn over all their documents, and very, very dislike, uh, or unlike, um, a criminal trial. But in this case, uh, Amber Heard had advised them that she was diagnosed with PTSD, which opened her up to Johnny Depp being able to have a therapist analyze or a forensic psychologist, I think, or clinical psychologist. So they had two competing experts, uh, mental health experts. And, and let's just explain for a moment so everybody understands. So in, in civil actions, unlike sometimes in a criminal case, if, the, uh, if one of the litigants is alleging that they have suffered particular psychological and emotional harm, and they have uh, evidence from either a forensic psychologist or a clinical psychologist. And forensic will deal mostly with things that are in the criminal nature. So both would apply in this case. And they tender as part of their evidence a report that says they have suffered uh, depression, anxiety, and in this case, post-traumatic stress disorder. Once they file that and are relying upon that type of evidence to substantiate their allegation of abuse, then the other side can challenge that. And, and from what we have read, it looks like that there was an actual examination, an assessment done by Mr. Depp's- Multiple tests done by both experts, yeah. Yeah, so, so but, but he had the opportunity to have his own psychologist then interview and run uh, multiple assessments using various tools and then made certain findings. So um, one of the things I noticed, and I was so intrigued by these experts and what they might say. And this is the first witness that she called that I observed anyway, um, that I actually did listen to a significant section of her testimony from the very beginning. And, and Amber Heard's experts started out talking about what victims do or don't do, right? And so this to me always strikes me as strange that they can talk about what real victims do, but if your defense 
talking about what a real victim wouldn't do, of course, is absolutely barred. Right. And this is going to play into some stuff that we talk about later in right. terms of whether or not the testimony of these experts is valuable. Right. And uh, so the approach is to... Um, her, her expert essentially assumed everything she was saying was true and then diagnosed her with PTSD based on her having actually been beaten in precisely the way that she described. There was no neutrality in terms of trying to, you know, assess whether or not these allegations were true. She just assumes it to be true. And she spent the first portion of her evidence talking about what people need to understand about trauma and about um, victims of domestic violence and victims of sexual assault. Right. So blah, let's blah, just, blah, 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 blah. Let, let's just back up a second. Because, look, there is legitimate trauma that people suffer from abuse, whether you're male or female. Uh, that's legitimate. But when you want to uh, verify your own evidence, you will go out and get an expert. And this happens much more in the United States. And hopefully nobody says certain comments from the U.S. But the reality is you can shop around from your own ex for your own experts. And you'll get an expert who will then listen to your, your story and really, there's a confirmation bias because this person is A, being paid by you for this report, B, uh, maybe a person who is a plaintiff side expert or a uh, person who specializes in victims of abuse. And so you have an inherent bias which is built into their assessment. And that's something you always have to really be careful to watch for. So in this case, as you were saying, it looks like there is no objective assessment applied by Ms. Hurd's expert her mm -hmm. psychologist. Yeah, she was basically setting up a like a narrative of um, you would expect a victim to behave in this way and Ms. Hurd says this thing happened to her, therefore because she says that happened to her, it happened and she this is my diagnosis. Which is an excellent point that you raise. So one, you start off with an expert saying, here are generalizations that we say are true about how a real victim will behave. And then the uh, information provided by Amber Hurd is exactly fitting within that paradigm. Therefore, it must be that the person was abused, or in this case, mis misheard. So, so this is this is where you have a conflation of two types of bullshit. So it is the soft science about how any victim will behave, and there are realities about how victims, real victims, may or may not behave because people are all but different. May or may not is the key. Not not will. You can't actually know from the way they reacted whether their allegations are true or not. Right, and that's the fallacy that we get involved in when we have this type of expert evidence play out in trials. Mm -hmm. And you've got a really interesting quote about uh, from from a case that we found in Canadian law, which we'll get to as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, in the states, it is increasingly common for them to call experts on trauma. We've seen it in every big case, like the Harvey Weinstein case, the Bill Cosby case. Interestingly, these same experts will then testify on behalf of the defense when it's someone like Jodi Arias, who um, was convicted of, of killing her ex-boyfriend out of jealousy. And, uh, and, and a lot of times these experts end up with really, really compromising lectures that they've given. So in the Bill Cosby case, and you know, I'm not gonna weigh in on uh, Bill Cosby's actual allegations and so on, but that expert compared women to her pug dog saying, here's a picture of my pug dog lying with its belly up and being vulnerable. Women are vulnerable. And she cuts to a picture of a woman uh, passed out in an alleyway. And uh, my response, as you know, is I'm not a pug dog. Don't compare women to pug your pug dog. It, get, it gets a little crazy sometimes in the United States what they do. But, but again, it's that type of evidence 
We won't talk about the chicken just now, okay? No, but the Jodi Arias trial. Yeah. Um, somebody said that she was a battered woman, and then it came out in the trial that she had also done a lecture saying Snow White was a battered woman. I, I don't know if people are getting this. Like, so there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on with trials in the United States. But, but the danger about that is, never mind how it impacts their own uh, criminal justice system and, and, and civil claims, it's how it infects us in Canada and the UK and other Commonwealth jurisdictions where we're trying to have a more objective, um, unbiased approach to how these trials are run, but it's infecting, it's coming across and it's insidious and it's, it's really, it's really dangerous. That type of expert evidence can be really dangerous and how it impacts us. So just going back to the, the trial with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, you know, I, I think what's interesting is how the evidence was much, um, more compelling from the expert that Mr. Depp called, um, and was able to do a battery of assessments and look at the assessment conducted by her own psychologist. And I thought that result and the testimony that came from that was much more, much more compelling and interesting. And why? She was essentially diagnosed as being a woman. <laughs> Borderline <laughs> well, yeah, personality. We're get in trouble for that one. Borderline personality. No, I've said it before. It's a joke, people. Um, <laughs> they found she had borderline personality disorder. She had a, a you know, what might have in the past been called histrionic. Uh, which, of course, we've now learned a lot more about uh, not uh, classifying women as yeah, just being histrionic all the time. But uh, it is fun to joke about in cases. I mean, this is just so over the top. Her, her expressions, and this is funny in terms of experts, because apparently now everybody's an expert on body language. <laughs> and they're bringing in experts on body language and calling it a science, um, which I find amusing. But her, you're looking at a trial with two people who are testifying who are both professional actors. And, and one of the most interesting things that I've seen so far is a claim that, um, a, a background claim about being forced to break horses and um, that uh, her father, Amber Heard's father, used to, used to make her get on wild unbroken horses and then keep getting back on the horse when she got thrown off. And of course she has to do something like this to explain why there is massive amounts of evidence that unlike a victim who's trapped in an abusive relationship, she was extremely aggressive and in fact was responsible for some harm to him. So they had to explain a reason why this was a legitimate defense strategy, like a battered woman syndrome kind of thing. Yeah, but but what I found really intriguing and, and you know, it was at the early part of the trial, but it's so relevant now when you watch, when you've had, you know, Johnny Depp testify and now the conclusion of the evidence of Amber Heard is when you go back to the evidence of the experts and in particular the the psychologist called uh, on the DEP team where that person had the benefit of the report so was able to read the report and and uh, analyze the assessment and then conduct a number of assessments which are legitimate tools to determine personality disorders and made fairly compelling findings based upon legitimate evidence that was derived from the assessment mm -hmm. And, 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 that, and that's compelling. We don't always see that uh, at play. Of course, you don't see that in Canada at all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because this is on live TV, it's playing like reality TV. But, but it was a very interesting insight into how sometimes, a, 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 you know, w an assessment that's conducted with the person present and being able to ask them questions and apply legitimate, validated, reliable tools to those assessments to determine what, 
what really the person may or may not be suffering from. Yeah. And the reason I'm leading up to that, and I just want to talk about the, the depth trial just a little bit more, is how we're going to talk about expert evidence here and how it is so f***ing devoid of any, any assessment of actual people. Right. But we'll come to that in a little bit, so it's a cliffhanger. But also, this is really important to understand. There, there is also a problem, especially in the criminal trial, where a, a so you know a so-called expert. I'm going to say because some experts, I don't agree that uh, they're, they're not really experts. Yeah. Well, they they may have degrees and expertise in certain areas, but they're not really an expert that should be called in court to testify about what they are. These are soft sciences, and the the risk is that they, as they often do, especially with memory um, experts, they're essentially offering their um, their verdict on whether or not somebody is credible. Right. So they're talking about what we call in, in the business the ultimate issue. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to talk about that later. But you can't call an expert to testify about what a judge or a jury will have to decide. Mm -hmm. Whether That's or not somebody's is telling the truth. Issue. So in this case, you've got between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, you've got two people heaping shit on each other. Pardon the pun. You know, or who's on the bed. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, you've got you know, ample evidence from Johnny Depp and from security guards and other and other individuals about how he dealt about abuse and how he called in for assistance. And now you have Amber Heard's version of it. But really what you have is a he said, she said story with some supportive evidence, I think more on the side for Johnny Depp. But and Amber Heard's makeup palette played a role. Yeah, too. but but you've got this to look how she covered up all of it. You've got to look through the lens of of uh, I think what's really interesting is, is the assessment at the beginning. But, you know, Amber Heard's evidence testimony, I think it's all finished now, completed after cross-examination uh, by the lawyer uh, for Johnny Depp. It was uh, Camille Vasquez, I guess. Um, and then there was a very short re-examination. But, um, you know, it's, it's a perfect example of how you see a he said, she said, where the cross-examination, for example, was about a fight in Australia in March of 2015 that she was sexually assaulted with a liquor bottle during the fight and testified that uh, she severed the tip of his finger. They've both denied the allegations. Um, and, you know, she was testifying. I just remember being assaulted by the bottle at the countertop. And there's just... Yeah, she had to come up with some way that his fingertip came off outside of her being responsible for it. And, but, you know, it's just, you know, it, it, you, know I've, you know, I'm going to be criticized for this one way or the other, but I feel bad for both. <laughs> You know, uh, it, it. Oh, I feel bad for anybody who remains in a relationship which gets to the point where they're both recording each other. Yeah, it just, I mean, it's how, just how such a shitty situation where you have. Are you still in this relationship? You know, where you have two, you know, uh, you know, stars who, who, you know, as I said, you know, Johnny Depp was somebody who I, I, I've always loved watching from a young age, although he's only two years older than me, but, you know, or three, but, um, and, and you have these two, you know, stars of Hollywood battling out such such things it should never happen but why did this happen it happened because in the united states and in canada and across the world now you have this phenomenon where you can make an allegation in an op-ed or speak uh you know in an interview with somebody on mainstream media or even on social media and and the person you're complaining about maybe even not naming them but everybody knows who they are and the careers down the tube and their life is down the tube because there's no due process and this was the only way you know, Johnny Depp could try and get some due process, and you have a battling of experts, one which is basically an advocate for, for Amber Heard, and really no no legitimate evidence. And and in some respects... It I've, concerns me because every time an expert's allowed to testify, it gives some legitimacy to their science, and I don't think there's enough going on to challenge whether or not the science is peer-reviewed by somebody other than their colleagues who are also promoting the same science. 
It's an excellent point. I think, you know, I, I think for now, for this episode, we're just going to focus a- about expert evidence. But at the end and a verdict on this trial of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, I think it would be really good for us to gather as much of the actual trial evidence as possible and then do some analysis through the and lens there's a of, lot. There's over 500 exhibits. <laughs> well, we don't... <laughs> nobody's we, we're not going to read them. We're not, but, but I think there's certain portions we could look at and analyze through the lens of gender bias. And I, I think that would be really interesting for us. But, you know, this expert is really driving us crazy. Yes. And so what starts out in the United States with respect to this evidence of, from experts about how real victims behave, um, generalizations about them, how then you can, uh, how a court should, should uh, view the evidence of a victim and how it will encroach upon decisions by judges and juries about issues of credibility, um, about reliability, and sometimes on legal principles. And we've seen that uh, play out now, unfortunately, in Canada. We've had a couple of trials where we've been fighting very hard to uh, deal with this type of expert evidence and keep it out of the, the actual trial. And unfortunately, it reared its it ugly head. Be. It shouldn't be. We have a couple of decisions to support that. Yeah. Um, so in the, the Hogard trial in Canada, the very first witness before any testimony from complainants was heard, the very first witness um, called by the Crown was an expert on what's called the neurobiology of trauma. Yeah, so let me just do one thing here. We're going to be very careful because we're not commenting at all on the merits of the trial. We are not going to say anything about credibility or about um, how this evidence should be used in that trial because it's before a jury and it has not been completed. And so we're not making any comments on credibility, reliability, or what a verdict should be, nothing like that. This is our disclaimer. All that we're gonna focus on right now, and I just wanna be careful, is this evidence that is not just uh, restricted to this case. We have seen it in other aspects and we're gonna talk about that. So I've given my disclaimer, okay? Because it's, uh, and this is science that is being taught to prosecutors, judges, police forces, and it's actually published on the government website um, where they, they say that it's not necessarily the views, the, you know, the views expressed in this report don't necessarily reflect those of the Department of Justice Canada, yet it's published on their site. Yeah, okay, so this is really, let's start with that for a moment, okay? So I'm gonna let you lead with this, but let's take this a little bit slower. So there is a government website where you know, there's access by Crown attorneys, judges, and this will, this this is information, it's called information, provided to judges and Crown attorneys about trials, and in particular about sexual assault trials. And it's somewhat endorsed by the government, even though they say they don't take the same views. There's oh. some, they're somewhat endorsing it by publishing it. They're saying they find it credible. That is absolutely an endorsement. We're not saying that judges accept this. We know judges are evaluating it and and I think our experience in cases that we've just defended recently have the right view but we cannot underscore the importance of discussing this openly and exposing soft science and the fact that this is on a government website that can influence our criminal justice system and we want to talk about the merits of it and, and so here's a comparison Canadian government website uh, the impact of trauma on adult sexual assault victims, 2019. Right. You know, they say it's not necessarily their views, but it's published on their website. Down in the States, United Air Force reviews the same science under a different name 
and says it is not only uh, less uh, effective than the current technique, but it's dangerous. And it's based entirely on anecdotal evidence. And there's nothing, and, and most of the, the known science actually contradicts what it is they're saying about memory. So Okay, so let, I want you to go into what's on that public site and let you speak about it. But let's just frame this for a moment. So in the trial that we have here in Toronto, we're not naming anybody, but a psychologist was called, and this is nothing new, okay? So it's not particularized to this trial, but it's a psychologist and a, a purported expert, and there's other experts who've testified to this, and we're going to refer to a specific case, but talks about... Um, the neurobiology of trauma and that how that trauma and how the brain works and how a real victim will encode information and then how this is used to be used by a trier of fact, meaning a judge or a jury to assess the evidence of somebody who says they were violated sexually. And Encoding information meaning memory. Memory. And... Um, and, and Diana is absolutely right that I want to not use the word junk necessarily right now, but we're going to call it a soft science where there is literally no peer-reviewed studies. Neutrally peer-reviewed. Yeah, there, there isn't, except the one that you referred to in the United States. All of this evidence is from anecdotal information, which is what one of these experts or two of these experts will say from their own practice in treating people who are specifically victims of sexual abuse. And there is no controlled study over time where you would normally have a selection of people who are real victims and in a control group and you're assessing them and determining uh, in conjunction with the criminal cases or the evidence how they would have behaved, how it impacts upon reliability, how it impacts upon how they reported the incident, maybe how it impacted evidence in trial. That doesn't exist. And a lot of it, the original stuff, they're making adjustments now, was talking about to understand trauma, you need to understand the amygdala in the brain and how the amygdala works in encoding memories and information. And then um, sometime around the end of 2017, neuroscience suddenly said, oh, the amygdala, amygdala doesn't work the way we thought it did. So now they said, you know what? You don't need to understand that. Leave it up to the experts. What you need to understand is the fear circuitry, right? Right. So they want to... Soft scientists always want to be seen as a real science, and what they've done is they've linked it to, uh, you know, something that's more of a hard science, even though there's so much we don't know about the brain, and they're still going to be trying to sort it out for probably ever, um, but they've linked it to something that's seen as more of a legitimate hard science. I agree, but but I, I see this as even worse. So when we see this play out in, in cases in the United States, and including, you know, in, in the case of Johnny Depp. Uh, where Amber Heard's psychologist was saying she's got post-traumatic stress disorder. Here's how real victims behave. And we see it playing out in this case in Toronto where, where the expert actually says a sexual assault ranks up in dealing with a terrorist attack as a traumatic event. I don't want to compare, tra compare traumatic events. They're all bad. Okay, but we don't all react the same way. But, but what is trying, what's, what they're trying to get across is they're trying to legitimize a soft science as a real science. Use that to impact the criminal trials. Use that to get across a particular view. And also, I think this is an industry. It is. and so It's an industry. I think it's really clear when you look into this in depth that what they've done is they've gone through situations where complainants were not believed. 
their evidence was either found to be not credible or not reliable. And then they reverse engineered science to explain why this is actually proof of somebody being raped. That's an excellent point. And, and look, we're not doubting that over time, you know, as we get more sophisticated as a society and understand human behavior and get better at uh, understand, understanding trauma and understanding signs of trauma are, and, and, and understanding you know, interactions between human beings and sexual assault cases, we become better as a system to understanding how to assess evidence. And in the past, what we thought was you know, a, false alle- a false allegation, main fact, three decades later, not bear out to be true. That said, we can't introduce this type of garbage to try and convict people because it really is, to a large extent, garbage. Mm-hmm. And that is the goal, is to increase uh, conviction rates. Absolutely the goal. It would be hard to say. Okay, so I'll give you an example as to why I believe this is true. In this uh, report that was published on the Canadian government website, right, the impact of trauma, there's actually a little section about how women will go into a state of tonic immobility. Yep. You got to explain that for everybody. So tonic immobility, if it's like, oh, no, that's not, they must mean something else. It's like, no, they, they use the phrase tonic immobility. There's a little paragraph here. A person in the state of tonic immobility is in a state of involuntary paralysis and is unable to move or speak. Women describe feeling cold as having rigid muscles. And despite being paralyzed, the individual is fully aware, aware of what is happening to her. So tonic immobility, and remember, this is, you know, endorsed by the government to some degree, has never been found in human beings. It's never been proven to be something that happens to human beings. What they did find it in, the tonic immobility... Wait for it, wait for it. The tonic immobility reaction in chickens. Response characteristics and methodology, this is on uh, Springer uh, academic papers. It has been primarily studied in chickens and they've also found it in some sharks, (laughs) although a different thing. So I watched a video on this and what they do is they take a chicken and hold its head to the ground and draw a line of chalk in front of it, which then mesmerizes the chicken who becomes incapable of moving. You can then take your hand away and it will stay there until you actually break its concentration on the line of chalk. Right, and the reality is you can't create a study by sexually assaulting somebody and seeing how they react. So maybe can, maybe you, hold them down and put a line of chalk you, in front of them you, and see if a woman will just not, remain there. It's not ethical, move. of course, to take a sample study and then create your own sexual assaults to determine it. We get that, but comparing it to, you know, studies with respect to animals is ridiculous. You know my response. <sighs> yeah. I am not a chicken, just as I am not a pug dog. I am not a cat, as there was one recent Zoom trial a long time ago in that was the United States. But really, but this is really important. Like, this is really important to understand this this proposed science I'm in, in take our this courts. The whole... Throw it away. But you know, we know that anybody who is a victim of violence, not necessarily a sexual assault, could be a, you know, an aggravated assault, a, assault bodily harm, male or female. And remember that sexual assault includes somebody having their breast touched. We'll get to that in a moment, but yes, that's true. Uh, there's a broad range. But anybody who's a victim of violence, you could take 10 people 
in, uh, in, in a violent situation and you may have 10 different human reactions. Somebody may be immobilized out of fear. Somebody might fight back. Somebody might acquiesce. Somebody might, um, you know, just try and run away and escape. You cannot draw any conclusions based upon those reactions because that's so individualized. And that doesn't mean that somebody's lying or telling the truth. So to try and dress it up in this soft science based upon tonic immobility and other terms that really don't make any sense is really just to take what we know as human beings as common sense about how we behave and dress it up to something else and then twist it and shove it down the throats of, of courts to convict people. That is the danger that exists here. Right. And what concerns me is they said she gave a slideshow and I know like another reporter. So we were looking at tweets. From I'm incensed. Global and again, I don't want to comment on the case at all, but I'm incensed that this made it there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, it just it's just disturbing without any rebuttal uh, well we're not commenting on the case you know we're not commenting on the case so please i don't want to comment on the case at all but you know i'm going to refer to a case after diana you say one more thing about it about a case from 2017 where there was a sexual assault trial that we can refer to where there's an actual judgment mm -hmm. and i'm going to refer to it so we can do it in real time because i don't want to comment on this case at all no, that's true. so this is a 2017 case sorry honey I, I really need something for this one this is going to curl your toes if this doesn't drive make the hair on the back of your neck stand up i don't know what will and really people you've got to get interested in this because this is real this is real and we had a very sharp sharp judge in this case who uh, who assessed this so this is a 2017 decision on a pretrial motion so th the the party in a criminal trial who wants to bring forward expert evidence has to try and get a judge to approve it that's essentially what the motion is about so they call the evidence in what's called a voir dire which is a hearing to determine whether it's admissible and there is an expert who is a psychologist expert in precisely the neurobiology of trauma ah, correct and the motion was about whether the expert would be able to be permitted to testify. And this person was a, a PhD in psychology, um, was from the United States, go figure, and uh, had started out as a clinical psychologist and then eventually evolved into doing a significant amount of work with victims of sexual assault. And then became the director of... Uh, an organization with respect to ending sexual assault, a non-for-profit organization. And then this person went on to give evidence in this case and had done absolutely no, absolutely no, none, zero, fuck all, primary research or written papers in the area. But had been Dramatic qualified cause. as an expert. Yet you were saying that they've been qualified as an expert in 60 cases in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, like it's all coming from the states this stuff right that's why we started off that's why the, the the trial with johnny depp and amber heard is an interesting um you know like petri dish of viruses that infect the rest of the world because it's like it's it's like the wild west there with some of this evidence where you get all sorts of stuff to come out some legitimate a lot of it just absolute bullshit. so so this person wanted to testify about the neurobiology of trauma and they like, give a good description. I'm really, you know, the, do it. the it judge actually helpful. summarizes what it is um, fairly succinctly. 
So um, she's going to lead evidence about uh, how the human brain processes traumatic events as opposed to more normal events. In particular, the evidence would show that victims would show the victims do not remember the details of an assault because the memories of traumatic events are stored in a different part of the brain, the amygdala, from regular events which are stored in the hippocampus, right? Um, so, and this is a psychologist. Right? Right. So we're not is talking. Is this right? That's we, the I question. Hope, I is hope, this right? I hope we're not boring anybody. But there's they're trying to dress up a psychologist who's not a neuroscientist, not a neurologist, not based upon studies actually of the brain and encoding of memories. This is a positive statement. Victims, all victims, do not remember the detail of an assault. Well, no, the reality is is that in the majority of situations when something traumatic happens, you get PTSD because it's burned into your brain. But Diana just said something really important. And, and I, I really sincerely hope everybody gets this. The evidence was being called by the prosecution to show that victims do not remember the details of an assault because the memories of traumatic events are stored in a different part of the brain, the amygdala, from regular events which are stored in the hippocampus. What f***ing bullshit? I don't care where it's stored. They actually don't know where it's stored. They don't know! They don't know. I know. They don't know. There's one expert, actually. If they did, they'd cure dementia. They don't know. A, a great, um, I was trying to think it was better. This is ridiculous. Was this was in an actual trial. Yeah, it's not even worth reading. It's ridiculous. Well, no, his findings and why he rejected her evidence are worth reading. No, but the prosecution, just think about how they try to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so offensive. It assumes they're a victim at the beginning, which is, you know... The Crown proposed to lead evidence of this expert as to how the human brain processes traumatic events as opposed to normal events. In particular, evidence that would show that victims do not remember the details of an assault because the memories of traumatic events are stored in a different part of the brain. Mm -hmm. Like, in essence, so you can't cross-examine somebody who is a complainant in a sexual assault case about inconsistencies or f***ing details about what happened because they can't store them because of the trauma. It's Can worse. you imagine? It's worse. Inconsistencies are proof of rape. Listen. Say it again. This is what they Slowly. say. Slowly. They claim that all the things that would normally undermine either the credibility or reliable, okay. reliability of evidence, inconsistencies, which are the core of cross-examination, doesn't matter because the more inconsistent they are, the more it's proof that they were traumatized. Can you just imagine? This is happening in prosecutions of sexual assault cases, okay? But can you imagine how this would impact every other area of prosecutions? Like like an eyewitness in a homicide case. Like, you know, witnesses in a terrorist act. Uh, let's say, you know, we, we had horrible mass casualty events here, one of them which went to trial. And you have witnesses testifying as to what they saw. Can you imagine if this f testified about it? And said, you know so, what, all these witnesses who are testifying, I just, I just let me do yeah, this. Yeah. All these witnesses who are testifying about witnessing this horrible attack in, in Toronto, you know, they may not be able to be accurately uh, giving you evidence because they're not able to encode it or, or keep it in their memory. And then, you know, maybe a juror or, or, or a judge would go, well, isn't that a problem for reliability? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I convict this guy if these witnesses never could could really recount what they saw because they can't just can you imagine the impact of it so they're trying to sell you shit 
in this type of a case, only sexual assault cases. But, but not with a really pretty package, though. Oh, fuck. But not have it infect any other area of criminal law. Please understand the seriousness of it. It's an absolute joke. Yeah. And so there's a great little bit on why they didn't um, accept her, her opinion. For one, oh she couldn't God. testify whether or not um, these you know, inconsistencies and all this other thing would be consistent or inconsistent. Like, it's like, it couldn't tell you one way or the other whether or not, it can't tell you anything about the veracity of the evidence because they may re react this way, but not everybody would react this way. Yeah, so let me get to the meat of this uh, just for a moment. And that's, you know, you're, you're right on point. There's a few things. One, the evidence was not really, uh, the evidence had a number of issues with it. And this is really important. And I hope we're not boring anybody. But, um, The expert evidence that was proposed was going to encroach upon the judge's duty or the jury's duty to decide on credibility. So when you say that you can't cross-examine a complainant about inconsistencies in their evidence because the complainant would not be able to remember precisely what happened in any reliable way because of trauma, you are then taking away essentially the duty of the trier of fact, which is a judge or a jury to decide on reliability and credibility, which is a no-no. Second, cross-examination of this individual, which was really, you know, an obvious but well done, um, leaving aside the fact that the person who was testifying as the expert really was not an objective uh, individual who never assessed the complainant in that case. She always finds in favor of the... Only deals with victims of sexual assault and did not assess the complainant in this case. But on close examination of the expert's evidence revealed some concerns. Um, the, per, the, the expert wanted to testify about a series of behaviors that victims of sexual assault generally engage in after the assault. She was cross-examined in detail about these behaviors and for each one confirmed that some victims of a sexual assault would not behave in this way and that some malingerers would behave in the same way as a typical victim of sexual Malingerer assault. Malingerer being a very unusual word. It means somebody who uh, feigns some sort of illness or whatever and, uh, you know, exaggerates. Exaggerates or doesn't tell the truth about it. This brings me to the quality of the evidence. In the course of cross-examination, this particular psychologist was asked whether some victims would not exhibit the behaviors that she had outlined. In response, the witness used the words less often, possible, rare to describe whether or not victims would not exhibit the behaviors that that expert said are typical of sexual assault survivors. It was just bunk, just absolute bunk. Mm -hmm. I know. And, uh, you know, what's, what I found really, just to try and wrap this up a little bit. I, I got to do a couple more things, but go ahead. Okay. Um, there was you. apparently a slideshow presented in the Hogard trial. Again, let's not comment too, on, on... No, no, no. I'm just talking about the presentation. Yeah. And then there was another person uh, from a different media outlet who said, we were given a little mini science lesson today. Yeah, but it wasn't science. Right? I know. But the problem is that people, when they're being told stuff like, oh, here's something a lot of people don't know, this can affect a jury in a very serious way where they're just like, oh, now I have this new knowledge that's unique to me that a lot of people don't know. Now I want to use this knowledge. I think the effect of this kind of evidence is actually really pernicious in, in terms of... Insidious, pernicious, dangerous. 
really yeah. up. And I want to, and I just want to read out because the the expert who I'm still I'm not going to name her because she's just one of many who who talk no, about the same not, thing. We don't want to vilify her. I but just, it's no, just... I just want to give you an idea of the language that pe people are being given. So this is a quote from a a published decision um, from another case in Canada from 2018 with this this particular expert explaining and they said so here's the stuff she testified um, she goes the translation and relevance for the circumstances of your specific case as you describe them to me and that's important yeah only as described to her uh, without any personal self-report self-report yeah. um, and as I would surmise are the following the prefrontal the prefrontal cortex is the center of executive functions in the brain. Executive function describes the activity of a system in the brain that manages other cognitive systems. It is involved in managing complex processes like reason, logic, problem solving, planning, and memory. The extensive body of neuroscientific knowledge and advances in the field explicate that through the integration of these multiple processes, the prefrontal cortex plays a significant part in directing attention, developing and pursuing goals, and inhibiting counterproductive impulses. Are you lost yet? Because this is what's being told. I to... get it. She's not a neuroscientist. Now, look, a psychologist can testify to some extent about that because they take neuroscience. But it's so, it's so convoluted. You know, you, you could have a jury going, okay, I believe her. I believe her. It, or I believe him. They're such a great expert. They use big words. I love right. those big words. Exactly. Those big words. I, I believe those big words. They're really big words. It means a lot to me. Guilty. Okay, but Dan, you know you, what I think of it? You've taken that from me. But just, just one more thing, okay? And then I, I'll stop on this, okay? When examined, cross-examined, the expert testified about clinical experiences that she had but could not quantify how many of the people she had seen have ever exhibited what she would testify are the common responses of sexual assault survivors. You know how much, viewers, I love that word. And how many have exhibited the less common responses. They're not survivors until they survived one of your cross-examinations. And so far, none of oh, them have... Oh, yeah, give me a props on so that So far, Thank none you. of them have survived. They have not. <laughs> but, but do you get that? So... She couldn't even quantify how many of her own patients actually exhibited the shit that she was testifying to. Saying it was most common. It was extremely rare not to have those symptoms. And you know what? The doc, God bless this judge. She's an advocate in her field. And that's what you got to look for. When these people testify, are they an advocate? And that may not be enough to get rid of them. But they only, they only treat people who are sexual assault victims... They don't do anything for the other side. They testify for prosecution and they testify for changing legislation. And that she would only accept work towards based on the values of the organization or the client. So in other words, she wouldn't act for a defense lawyer. We're disgusting. We try and defend people who are who are guilty of sexual assault. God forbid they should ever have a trial. And so there was no partiality here, none whatsoever. And and the judge, God bless this judge, you know, determined that this is not something a jury needs to hear. We all have common sense. We know how people react to trauma and events. And let's just assess it as we normally have, without bunk and, and soft science, where somebody's essentially an advocate based upon some sort of anecdotal clinical evidence that's not even consistent. And, and, and if you just think about the controversy over how we decide about medical treatments, 
and the rigor, the rigor that's applied to a treatment that you want to administer to a population. Just think about that. It has to go through a number of controlled tests with sample, um, uh, sample groups. You have to study the side effects. You have to study the eff bite, efficacy. I, unless you're no, in the pandemic. Quiet. You have to, and I love you, I just not on this, and you have to have the data scrutinized and be peer-reviewed and then analyzed by a number of levels of, of scientific bodies within a country to determine whether this is something that's safe to give to your population. Well, is this safe to give to our population? Is this safe to give to our population? Is it safe? You know why the government wants to say it's safe? Because it just convicts people. That's why. We want to raise conviction rates we don't consider whether it's safe. I, and like I've said before, I can't, I can't. if done. they don't if they don't care about wrongful I'm convictions, spent. if they don't care they about don't. wrongful convictions anymore, they should just admit it. Before we clink, just today we got retained by a client, and and Diane's, oh my god, Diana's point, oh my god, Diana's point is brilliant. I'm going to close with this. Bless you, honey. This is brilliant. Okay, somebody called me. They said they're going to be charged with domestic assault, being hit. He had a text message literally a day after from the complainant, his wife, who said, oh, f I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I lied to the police. I'm so sorry. My You're the father of my children. My brother talked me into it. I was just angry. I just wanted to hurt you, but I'm really sorry. It wasn't true, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to explain to the police, but they're not listening to me. I'm so sorry. He went into the police station today under my direction. I said, look, surrender your phone. Give them consent to search. Let them look at that text message. And they did. He's charged. He has a date coming up in July. He's not allowed to go to home. He's not right now having really access to his children because there's logistical issues. And she went into the station herself, didn't right. she? Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. But I'm not blaming the police, okay? No. Because we have some viewers who are police officers and they conduct investigations. And one of the cases we're going to talk about on another episode did a really good investigation. But it's the policy of government that ties the hand of police to use discretion and to think. Because what I would have done as the detective is go, oh, f that's interesting. I got a few minutes. I'm going to phone her up. I'm going to try and find her. So what does that tell you when we're talking about this type of bullshit evidence, expert evidence? What it's telling you is that the government policies want to create higher convictions for political reasons. Now I can clink. Oh, and just watch as you have leadership debates now, as you have as you have politicians who stand up in parliament and say things about tough on crime policies, tough on crime policies, because some carjacking or some other shit that goes on and they want to create new legislation to create harsher policies and harsher legislation when there are wrongful convictions, wrongful charges and this type of bullshit that goes on in the court system. Think carefully about what you want as government policy, who you want as your leaders, and who you want running your life. I just gotta say, I'm out of here. That's what she said. That's what she said. Thank you. Watch, subscribe, like, share, send us a thumbs up, send a well, you, whatever you want. But thank you very much for viewing. And ask us questions so we can answer them. On yeah, yeah, send podcast. us questions. We like it. Which uh, will, I guess, put the email thing that I can send questions to or Absolutely. leave leave questions in the in the comment section okay we're done thank you